The message that Peter preaches at Pentecost, um, there's a whole sermon. It's quite extensive. Um, But this uh, final line, the line of his sermon, every sermon has to have a good closing line. Um, I know mine don't always. (laughs) That's why I end with amen a lot of times. It's like, okay, that's it, enough. Um, But the plane is landing in the sermon, and he gets down there, and the, the plane is coming down the runway, And the final line is he turns it on them. And he says, therefore, let the whole house of Israel know, like everybody that's here for Pentecost, this festival that has gathered Jewish people from all over the whole world. um, Let everyone know that God, with certainty, that God has made him both Lord and Messiah, this Jesus whom you crucified. Um, He's speaking to this group of people that, in many ways, might not have been there when he was crucified. Um, It's hard to say, um, you know, who his audience were specifically, but he's making it very clear that this Jesus, who who you crucified, was the Messiah. And this is a startling revelation um, that he's, or a startling indictment, almost like a prosecutor at a trial, um, who um, slowly leads the witness through all sorts of you know, circumstances and stories and, you know, where were you on the night of the seventh and all those kinds of things. And then gets to this final line and says, it was you who did this. Um, And he's certainly not talking to like Jewish people from all time and eternity. This is not a justification for anti-Semitism, of course. Um, This is a Jewish preacher talking to his Jewish countrymen. Um, he's talking to his own people. This is an internal argument, an internal discussion. Um, he's not talking to the Romans because the Romans um, aren't there. They're not listening to this. He's not talking to anybody but his own people. Because the argument he's made throughout this whole sermon is that Jesus was predicted to do, to do this. The Messiah was predicted in, by the prophets to die this way. And you were responsible for it. It's, a very, it's very much like Nathan the prophet when David um, sins by killing Uriah the Hittite, and he steals his wife, forces her to marry him. He, um, you know the story. It's the great soap opera story of the Old Testament. Um, David murders a man, commits adultery with his wife, and then is celebrated as a hero um, by all the people. He sort of gets away with it. And Nathan the prophet comes to him and tells a story about a shepherd who has one little lamb that he takes care of. He's poor. He just has one little lamb. And this other guy has, has like a hundred sheep and he's rich. But one day this rich guy has his friends over and instead of killing one of his lambs to eat for the feast, he goes down to the poor guy's house, grabs the precious lamb, the only one that he has, and slaughters it and serves it to the guests. And David is outraged. He's like, who is this guy? I'm going to kill him. You know, let me at him. <laughs> and Nathan the prophet says, you are the man. You're the one who did this. Um, And Peter's sermon is just like that. It's an internal critique. It's an internal pointing out. You are the one who, you are the ones who did this. Um, And it says it worked. Immediately they're cut to the heart. It's an expression for being convicted of something or have a realization of guilt. They might not have thought it was, they were part of it. And we here today, 2000 years later, when we hear this, we should also be cut to the heart. 
when we realized that we were the ones who crucified the Messiah. The, 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 um, the responsible parties for the death of Jesus are you and me. Not so much even the historical people, because they didn't really know what they were doing. But it's you and me. Um, this is where we stand as sinners, not only guilty of the petty stuff that we do throughout our lives, but also guilty of this, that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. God sent his son into the world, not to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. Uh, All these verses that speak of God's gift of Jesus to us also hint at the fact that we killed him. All of humanity was in on this, not just one particular race of people, but all of humanity. Because if he had shown up anywhere else, we would have done the exact same thing. And this is the universal nature of Jesus, that he shows up in every time and place shows up in every situation. And if you insert him into any historical moment, pretty much throughout time or eternity, they will do the same thing to him because they do the same thing to people like him every single time. Easter Sunday uh, was also another anniversary, not of just the resurrection of Jesus, but also of the assassination of Martin Luther King Jr., um, April 4th. Um, It was sort of lost to me and many others who were scrambling to get Easter things ready, and all of a sudden, this date pops up in memory, in our collective consciousness, a day where someone who was also working for freedom and justice for people uh, was also martyred, murdered in cold blood. And so this is the truth of all of us. We kill the Messiah. We have crucified Jesus. All of us are in on this. And so what do we do? We do what these people did. We repent and believe. And our repentance Um, And baptism is a calling to a new way of life. And it's harder to see this maybe in 2,000 years later than it was in those days because they did exactly what we promised to do in our baptism. After they're baptized, they do exactly what we said on Sunday morning when we renewed our baptismal vows. Um, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. The apostles' teaching is... Seeing the Old Testament through the eyes of Jesus, that is the apostles' teaching. Um, It's not always like all the different things that Christian theology offers, you know, with all its speculative, how many angels can dance in the head of a pin. That's not what they devoted themselves to. They devoted themselves to seeing Jesus in the Old Testament on every page, seeing Jesus in the Psalms, seeing Jesus in the stories of Abraham and these strange visitors that come to him seeing Jesus and Jacob wrestling the angel of the Lord, seeing Jesus with Joshua and the angel of the Lord, seeing Jesus with, in, the, in the fiery furnace with, Dan, with the three young men in the story of Daniel, seeing Jesus on every page of this story, seeing Jesus in the prophets. That's the, that's the apostles' teaching. That's what they were teaching over and over again. And the fellowship, the koinonia is the word that often um, is a Greek word for fellowship. And points to not just people sort of at a cocktail party telling stories of, you know, yesteryear, but fellowship being a sharing, sharing not only of personal stories of our lives that are sometimes shameful, sharing that and being vulnerable with other people, that's fellowship. It's not cocktail hour level stuff. This is deep. It's, it's about 
Um, it's about connecting with people in the moments of their, of their hardest moments, difficult moments. Also relates to sharing economically. You can see later, they put all their money in the same account and helped everybody with, that had a need. And this continues in the early church quite, quite uh, dramatically. It's the sign of their fellowship that they're willing to help each other. And this, is, this has been lost in the modern church. Only a few groups have sort of recovered this kind of radical sharing. But it's probably something we ought to work on. And if you have any ideas on how to do that, let's talk about that. Because that is a mark of baptism, that you start sharing stuff. Um, and then the breaking of bread and the prayers. This is the first reference to the Eucharist. This almost proto-Eucharist that is in here. The Eucharist being the center of our fellowship uh, in our worship of God on Sunday mornings. But here it is mentioned, the breaking of bread. This, of course, references Jesus when he feeds the 5,000. It says he broke, broke the bread, gave thanks for it. That's the word Eucharist, the thanks. Um, but it also goes into the night he was betrayed. He took bread, broke it. This breaking of bread. Um, it's also an expression for just eating together. Um, and some have pointed that out. They're just eating together. But there's something more than just eating together. They wouldn't have, of course they were eating together. They're friends. They're sharing money. They're sharing food. You know? that's, but this is a deeper. There's something else going on here that's, that's an act of worship, the breaking of bread. And the prayers. What are the prayers? The prayers that they're praying are the temple prayers. They're the same prayers they prayed in the synagogue. The same prayers they prayed in the temple. Um, the liturgical life of the early church was the Jewish prayers. They were the prayers that they prayed morning prayer and evening prayer and noon prayer, the morning sacrifice, the evening sacrifice that had been translated into people's ordinary existence. So they didn't have to go to the temple every day, but you could go to the temple and pray the prayers of the, of the, of the temple. It is what the early church did. They prayed the liturgical prayers of the temple. Anybody that says you can only pray, you know, if, you, if you're praying out of a book, you're not really praying to God well, the early church basically prayed out of the prayer book, which was the Psalter, the Psalms, the Psalms of, of, of the nation of Israel. That's what they were praying there in the early church. And that's hopefully what we're doing today. All the rest is extra. All the rest is stuff that we can maybe do or not do. But this is what they did. And this is what we are doing here today. So the power of the resurrection, the power of this message is still with us today. And you are doing it. You're living it. You're being Easter people in a Good Friday world. You are living in the light of this resurrection, the light of repentance, the light of baptism. You are following that. You're doing it every single day, just like the early church was. And that is what is so amazing about Easter. We can recover that. We can go back to that and keep doing that. Amen.